0: Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 14. Today we are covering chapter 14 of Philosopher's Stone, titled Norbert the Norwegian Richback. Or, as we like to call it, how to smuggle your dragon. <laughs> it is kind of an exciting chapter.
1: Dragons! Dragons are fun. We love a good whimsical creature. So I think one of the like earliest sentences in this chapter is that Harry and Round, they're trying to be really encouraging to Quarrel because they think they're standing, that he's standing up to Big Scary Snape. So Harry's like smiling encouragingly at him every time he sees him in the hallways. And I cannot imagine, just as Quarrel, just like a shady dude hanging out with Voldemort, how uncomfortable it must have made him to have Harry Potter constantly like big smile, nodding, thumbs up from across the corridors. <laughs> yes what does he know
0: yeah like why is he all of a sudden being nice to me because i am like harry really cared about quirl before but now all of a sudden he's being super nice so it's just i'd be super, super sketched out <laughs> if i were him
1: it's also interesting they talk about Quirrell's sort of how he's looking and feeling and how he's paler and thinner and it's interesting to wonder whether or not this is just the stress because he's lying to people and trying to get to the stone or if it's the physical signs of the possession which I can imagine is not healthy to the physical body. Yeah. I feel like in my mind possession works sort of like if you get a blood transfusion of the wrong blood type you know like it's not good in my it would not be healthy for the host.
0: Because like yeah it's like you're feeding two bodies off like one body basically.
1: Not good it just doesn't seem healthy. I wouldn't recommend it I don't think. I wonder if uh, Quirrell's, you know, having a good time. I feel like it's got to be awful to have Lord Voldemort on the back of your head, of all people. Like, I feel like he's probably very critical. I bet he doesn't get much sleep. And I guarantee Voldemort's not having much fun either. I bet he will write a very bad review on Yelp for the back of Quirrell's head.
0: I mean, thinking of that just makes me think of a Harry Potter musical and how they display that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. Uh,
1: I also love how humorous they are, like talking about how ten weeks only feels like a second to Nicholas Flamel. It's good like that they've gotten over that hump of like learning the Nicholas Flamel secret and how they're already like ready to ready to go and Make jokes about it. I guess they've evolved quickly from we don't know anything to we know it enough to make poignant jokes.
0: My favorite thing is that um, they have we have all this like stuff, but the source stone we just found out what like what who Nicholas Mello's last chapter, and now Hermione's like, wait a minute, exams are coming up. What am I doing? I don't care about this. We
1: need to study. (laughs) It's uh, very important. It's very important. Yeah.
0: So moving into the chapter, Hermione is like pulling them into studying. And they run into Hagrid in the library, which is weird because why is Hagrid in the library? Everyone reads. Hagrid can read. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. do not judge him. They're, They're suspicious. And Hagrid's not telling them anything about the stone. So they, of course, go snoop. And Ron finds out that he is reading a book about dragons. And my thing was, Ron knows the exact year dragon breeding was outlawed. And I was like, why does he struggle with history of magic when he just knows this random date?
1: I mean, maybe it's just a cool fact to him. Or maybe it's a cool fact that, like, Charlie always talked about. I guess. You know? Maybe that's Charlie's, like, thing. You know how your dad's probably like, oh, I wish the Leafs would win this year. <laughs> Charlie's like, oh, I wish the 1912 order to that made it illegal to breed dragons would end this year.
0: That's, like, a thing. We don't know. That's just, like not something you expect, especially since, um, it's definitely interesting to get, like, the idea that, um, though is very intelligent and she knows a lot of stuff about goes in the world because she reads a lot of history books, Ron has, like, she wasn't aware that there were dragons in Great Britain and Ron's like, no, of course there are. So even, like, he corrected her, because I feel like that's the thing of the movies kind of use Hermione as, like, the encyclopedia for the whole Wizarding World, and they kind of take Ron's place in the trio as, like, the society of the Wizarding World context out. Yeah. It's a huge disservice to Ron, because he really does provide a lot of sort
1: of filling in the blanks when it comes to wizard culture and wizard society that Hermione couldn't from reading. There's just some things you don't know until you've lived them.
0: Yeah. Well, um, they go over to see Hagrid... And Hagrid's drinking again, which, you know, always drinking. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, not healthy. It's very, very not healthy. I also think it's funny that he gives the dragon brandy. I don't know if that's just, like, Hagrid's like, I like alcohol, this dragon must like it, or if it, like, makes them sleepy and docile, or I don't know. Or maybe they like brandy because they're an old former law partner who cheats on his wife. You know, in my mind, that's who drinks brandy. But, uh, (laughs) I don't get it. It's a very strange... Gotta alcohol up the dragon. Because you know what's harder than trying to transport a dragon in secret at night? Transporting a drunk dragon in secret at night. I also have some points to make because they've proved that, like, having dragons is illegal. Smuggling the dragon is illegal. This is a lot of, like, crime for 11-year-olds. And Hagrid, as the adult in the situation, is really okay with letting the children take responsibility and crime to get him out of trouble. Yep. You know? it's crime. It's illegal. They're illegal to breathe. They're illegal to have in captivity. They're illegal to smuggle into other countries. Prison. They should all go to that.
0: Yeah. Going back to Hagrid and just him involving them in his uh, crime ring. Shenanigans and crime. Yeah. It kind of, yeah, it goes back to the fact that like, Hagrid and his relationship with Harry and then obviously Harry and Hermione is like really a weird kind of relationship compared to like Harry's other relationships with adults in the book. We talked about it when we first met Hagrid that he doesn't treat Harry like he's a kid and they're friends. He kind of treats him like almost like they're the same, even though Hagrid's an adult. But he also... He kind of goes between treating Harry like a friend, like their best friends, pals, confiding in each other, and then also like an adult, because he spends a lot of this book trying to dissuade them from, like, looking into the Sorcerer's Stone and trying to be an adult and being responsible. But then he also involves them in this illegal thing that he did. And once they convince him that it's bad, they clean up his mess and he lets them, He doesn't, like, go to Dumbledore or anything or own up to it. He lets three children take care of his mess for him. And it happens a lot in this series. I think a thing
1: with Hagrid is that because he was expelled when he was really, really young, and he wasn't really close with or exposed to a lot of kids his age at that point because he wasn't a student, he went from being child to an adult so quickly that there are maybe parts of his, like, social development that just didn't come properly into fruition, kind of. So even though he is an adult... There's certain elements of childhood that he hasn't learned you shouldn't engage in. And so he just doesn't realize, like, he doesn't understand that, like, it's appropriate as an adult to ask your adult friends for help in certain situations that are not appropriate to ask a child for help. And he just doesn't realize that. Because he was probably a child and Dumbledore asked all kinds of crazy stuff of him. So he's probably just doesn't realize that that's inappropriate.
0: Yeah, because it's just weird. Like, he, he just risked all of this for this dragon. Like... Going back to, like, Hagrid has this affinity of dangerous creatures. Like, I feel like every book he has some type of creature. Like, this book he has Norbert, the next book he has Aragog, and then he has Buckbeak, and he has the Scroots. and he's always, like, attracted to these really dangerous creatures, and he risks everything for this dragon. Prison time. Job, his home, Dumbledore's trust, which he really values for this dragon. I think the thing with Hagrid is that he's a bit of an outcast
1: and he's always been a bit isolated from peers because he was expelled and he's a half giant and he has all these things that make him different so I feel like he has a huge soft spot for everything else that's seen as different or dangerous because he's felt being on the other side of that and he can relate to them but also I think he sees animals that are judged for what they are as like deserving of a second chance to actually act out their own lives because Hagrid got his second chance like Dumbledore let him stay on and hired him. So I feel like he's Hagrid's always willing to give someone a second chance and always more likely to relate to a dangerous creature rather than be afraid of it or cautious of it just because he knows what it's like to have people be afraid of you for no reason. And he would never hurt someone unless they were hurting him or his friends first. So I think he just really relates to these creatures It almost does for them what he wished could have been done for him or what was kind of done for him. Especially that he calls himself its mommy. I think that's really interesting because his mother was was the uh, giant. And apparently they have like no maternal instincts and she, you know, just didn't really raise him at all. So maybe there's a certain extent of like not only does he want the animals to have the second chance and like the opportunity to prove themselves safe that he wants, but also he's projecting that on them. Like also, here's a mummy who loves you and will take care of you. So it's just a whole bunch of his own internal issues.
0: Yeah, he definitely has mature, he's definitely has maternal issues. Cause yeah, he's acting like a mom to this dragon and he has- And he calls himself mommy, you know? And to me
1: that's because he had a no relationship with his mother.
0: Yeah, he wants the maternal role. I'm turning into Freud. It feels like he's looking for family and then it all comes to fruition when he meets his half brother and tries to like bring him into his world. Hagrid has some family issues don't we all so moving in um they convince hagrid that he cannot harbor a uh, illegal dragon in his wooden house so ron decides to write to his brother charlie to get the dragon out of there and my th- whole thing was that charlie doesn't even question the fact that ron wrote to him runs 11 and he's like hey brother like i have to i have an illegal dragon that i need to get out of the castle can you help me and Charlie's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I have friends coming up in the area. They can take it. And it's just, there's, what? <laughs> okay, but like, you're the you're the
1: oldest sibling. So I think it seems weird to you. But to me as a younger sibling with an older brother, it makes complete sense. Like, I got suspended once in high school. And the first thing I did when they had me in the office was text my brother and say, I got suspended and he immediately came to the school and picked me up and was so proud of me. And that's just like a brother thing, I think, especially if your brother likes to get in a little bit of trouble too. He's probably proud of Ron and excited and happy his brother thought of him first. Also, he's probably excited about a dragon, a particularly rare Norwegian Ridgeback.
0: Yeah, just we don't know a lot about Charlie's character because he's not in the series a lot. He's mentioned a lot because he's doing a lot of work abroad. We don't get a lot, like, we don't get a, a lot of his character compared to Bill in later books, but it's just, like, so funny. Like, I'm I'm, I'm also assuming that, like, he's not surprised, because I'm sure growing up with a friend, a friend of George, like, he's just, he's just used to stuff. But it is just so funny to me that Ron's just, like, super casual, like, oh, yeah, I'll write to my brother. We'll get it figured out. Yeah, oh, that's
1: what, you know, reach out, get some help. I I wonder what type of crazy things Fred and George probably put their older siblings through when they were in their first year at Hogwarts. Oh, gosh. Like,
0: because Ron gets up to stuff, but Fred and George, like, they really seek it out. I would hate to have been Percy. I'm wondering what the timeline was, because I don't know how much older Bill is than uh, Charlie and Percy. Because usually, I think there's like a year or two between Ron and Jenny, and there's like two years between friend George and Ron. So I'm wondering if Bill was there when they were in their first year or if he had graduated by then.
1: I think Bill wouldn't be there. Maybe Charlie would be there.
0: Okay. But anyways, they're helping Hercules with his um little dragon problem until they can get rid of it. And it bites Ron. So he go- has to go to Madame Pomfrey because apparently his arms like gangrene falling off. Ew. Great image. And I was wondering, out of all Hogwarts, they have so many injuries and so many weird industries. And it made me Think that, like, in normal public school, like, if you got injured at school, they have to write an incident report, and your your parents have to be told. If you got pushed in a playground, or if, like, someone punched you, or just, or just like, general things. But I'm wondering, like, how much do they do that at Hogwarts? Because I feel like in the next couple books, like, they're in the hospital wing, like, at the end of every every book. And obviously, the Dursleys don't really care about Harry getting injured. But I'm like, Hermione gets petrified for, like, five months in the next book. And, like, do her parents even know? Like, Ron got this suspicious bite. And, like, did they even tell his parents? <laughs>
1: My theory is that because it's a boarding school, they reach out to the parents less about smaller things. And in the case of Hogwarts, something like a strange animal bite, if you know how to treat it and it seems to get fine, there's no point in reaching out to parents, I would think. It's sort of that kind of situation. But like in the petrification situation, they definitely would have reached out to the parents because that was like potential death So I guess it just depends on like the severity of the injury, because I feel like a lot of kids probably hurt themselves all the time at Hogwarts, and it would be constantly like every day there's a letter about how your child hurt themselves today. I feel like there's like a certain degree of seriousness the injury has to be. And even though like a gangrenous arm sounds terrible to us, to the wizards, it's like a bruised knee, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I do see Madame Pumphrey like probably having an incident report because she definitely seems like that kind of like nurse and just having to hand it over to Dumbledore and him being like, oh, cool, whatever. And I'm just, like, not caring. But I was like, Madame Pumphrey is a adept nurse, so, like, she probably knows it's a dragon bite. So, like, do we, like, would she just be like, whatever?
1: Did Dumbledore, like, write her a letter at the beginning of the year? Like, anything that goes on with Harry Potter and those that end up being his friends, just just sweep under the rug, okay? Thank you. Good work, Poppy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Maybe... Dragon bites look similar to other bites, like, to uh, from other small creatures. Yeah,
0: because Ron told her he got bit by a dog, and she's obviously was like, that's bullshit. But, um, yeah,
1: but there's lots of dangerous creatures. So maybe it's just a small bite, so you wouldn't think dragon. And maybe even if dragon bites have, like, a venom at times or something, he was too young for that to kick in. So it was basically just a
0: flesh wound that was kind of infected At gangreness. I feel like she gives a lot of side eye to the students, but I'm pretty sure she, like let something slide. Like I know in the next book, Hermione get, gets turned into like half a cat and she's like, yeah, sure. Okay, whatever.
1: To me, that kind of like magical accidents probably happen all the time at Hogwarts. I
0: can't imagine
1: kids not accidentally turning themselves into weird things.
0: Well, I just mean like, obviously, like they won't tell her exactly what it is, but I just don't think that she's reporting it because I feel like anything that she feels like they shouldn't be doing... She would probably, if, if this was a normal school, she should be reporting it to, to like, a teacher or something. But obviously, she's just kind of like, get yeah, whatever, these stupid kids getting injured.
1: Maybe she's gotten to sort of come to terms with the fact that everyone's constantly in danger at Hogwarts, and the school would go out of business if parents knew how frequently their children were hurt. So the whole Hogwarts establishment sweeps the injuries under the rug. Until Cedric Diggory winds up dead, no one says anything,
0: you know? I'm like, oh. Oh, well.
1: <laughs> we are a safe school. It has been seven days since our last dismemberment. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about dragons. Dragons are, like, something that's always involved in fantasy. So I just want to talk about, like, how dragons are perceived generally in lore and how they kind of, like, are in Harry Potter. Because I know how dragons are in Game of Thrones versus how they're in, like, Lord of the Rings. Um. So I guess for me... Dragon lore bears a lot
1: of similarities in Harry Potter to classic dragon lore and, like, Tolkien dragon lore. I mean, in Tolkien dragon lore, you've got the dragon hoarding all the gold in the mountain. And that sort of is referenced in the uh, Goblet of Fire, where the dragons are protecting that golden egg. Yes, it's an egg and a dragon would protect her egg, but also it's gold because it pertains to that sort of hoarding aspect that is often connected to dragons. I also think it's interesting the way dragons are used in the wizarding world. Like, we know they have a dragon in Gringotts for protection, and we know that it's illegal to breed them. So we know that, like, society interacts with dragons enough to have particular rules about how to handle them. Like, even dangerous dangerous animals in, like, North America, like tigers and stuff, only sort of recently have... They're starting to be more, like, specific and strict laws about having them as pets or breeding them and stuff. Yeah. So clearly dragons have been involved in wizard society for a while. So they've definitely been around not hiding somewhere in Wales that no one else goes to, which is cool. And also the uses of them, how they're used, A, as, like, actual props in a game for children to almost die but also as, like, defensive measures. And it's interesting when you think about it, because if it's illegal to breed dragons, it's probably illegal to sell dragons and to trade dragons. So is Gringotts just openly breaking the law by having that dragon there? Yeah, I feel like it's very strange. Unless they just, like, captured it. If you capture it in the wild, it's fine. But if you raise it yourself, it's not.
0: We know Gringotts is, like, old, so probably back, like, then it was, like, normal to have dragons to guard your deep treasure and the yeah as is the lore of dragons they live in a mountain and they protect their gold and so i guess things changed there was probably more protections as society grew as we see like animals now like poaching and there's a lot more reserves and even zoos and stuff now are more focused on rehabilitation and kind of just like taking care of the animals rather than showing them off or i hope they are (laughs) Or well, they should be, at least. It's interesting how we see dragons throughout the series a bit differently. So we the, we first get our introduction to dragons with Norbert, who's like a baby dragon. And all the thing, we learn all about dragons and like how they're born and what Hecord's feeding them and like how big they get so quickly. And then we see fully grown dragons in Goblet of Fire and it's almost, most, we see how like violent they are. And how they get kids to basically go against a fully grown dragon, which is crazy.
1: And then in the final Harry Potter, it's almost like dragons become sympathetic again. Because you feel bad for that dragon in Gringotts. He's skinny, and it's dark, and he's lonely, and he's sad, and they've clearly trained him via abuse. And he's emotionally traumatized. And it's it's interesting that you go such a full circle with just dragons, even. The idea that, like, oh, it's cute, you love it, you can raise it, it's dangerous... But also, you should still love it. (laughs) Like, the treatment of animals, I find, and species and creatures in Harry Potter is a really interesting thing to look at, because clearly dragons are intelligent creatures. And yet, there seems to be no reason, like, nothing stopping people from mistreating them, abusing them, and letting kids beat them up for sport.
0: Yeah, it's like trying to find the difference in, like, magical, like, lore is, like, what would be considered a species, which is basically, like house selves and goblins and the centaurs that are, like, sentient that can talk. And, and you think, what's an animal? Like, is it, it dragonsaw species, like, compared to goblins? Humanoid, basically. Like, what counts as humanoid? Yeah, humanoid, yes, is the word I'm looking for. But, yeah, like, what it's, like, interesting how Harry Potter does that because it's very, like, classist, I find. Oh, for sure. Compared to, like, other novels. So it's just interesting to see, like, how we separate magical creatures from these other humanoid creatures that will kind of live in the same society, but under different rules. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like
1: very typical society where if one group realizes they have the opportunity to oppress another, they will. Like, it's 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 sad because you don't want that in children's books, but at the same time, it's, it's very real. So you almost are like, okay, it's an introduction to the real world in that a lot of times people, for no reason and no fault of their own, are treated like they're less than when they are certainly not. House elves are, frankly, nicer than a lot of the wizards we meet in the series. It's a representation of society and how shitty we all are. But dragons, to me, it's like animal abuse is what I think of when it comes to, like, the dragons. The way they're cognitively displayed as like a large wild creature that can't really communicate with humans. To me, the closest thing would be like elephants or something large that could hurt you, but whimsical and beautiful
0: that we like to take advantage of in society. Definitely reminds me kind of like how like the how dragons are perceived in the world because we know we they use them. Like you have a point here that they're used for war encore. And other parts of their body are used for like potions and stuff. Like, isn't Dumbledore known for like the twelve uses of, uses of dragon's blood or something? So, how much are they protected? Because we know Charlie works with dragons in like a reserve. I'm, I'm assuming some kind of sanctuary. So, how much are they like protected versus how much are they used for like stuff? Because it kind of reminds me of poaching and like of elephants for their tusks. But now elephants are semi endangered, or like pandas, the same thing. Like, there's so many more laws now that they're like a dying species. So it's how much do you use them for stuff versus how are they protected?
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see wizards abusing nature sort of the same way that us normal muggle types do. It's
0: sad. And you're having a point here about Hagrid just being like a dumb rich person that wants an illegal pet just makes me think of Tiger King for some reason.
1: Yeah. He's just like, I like big weird things that are unique and strange. I will have a dragon. Like that's such a rich person thing to do.
0: Hagrid is it's so Exotic.
1: I mean, he's not. <laughs> but like famous people do that too. They're like, ah, yes, this is my tiger. This is my one of a kind rare gazelle. I don't know. What magical creature is your favorite? It has to be one that exists in the Harry Potter world, but it can be any magical creature that is not humanoid. Because that's boring.
0: I mean, I feel like Fox is really cool. And I love how he's used in the series. Like, just like he can't, he's like immortal and can never die. And it's just basically they do it all weird because he can carry immense loads, he can heal you. And like how Dumbledore uses him throughout the series, like uses him to send a warning and then after Dumbledore dies he does like this morning like song and stuff and it's just like how phoenixes are like used in the series.
1: I like unicorns and I like thestrels. I think the idea of Thestrals is very, very cool. Like, the unicorn idea is basically very typical. They represent purity and innocence. That's, like, classic unicorn. But Thestrals are cool. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard of thestrels before this. Like, I feel like it's an entirely Harry Potter
0: creature. I feel like the name thestrels, but it's probably... It might be based on some kind of, like, mythical like lore or something. It's probably based on, uh, sometime mythology. But it's very
1: cool. Like f- some kind of flying horse-like creature that you only see when you see death is neat and I like it. And I think they're so cool that their her- hair, they are what's in the core of the most powerful wand. It says something sort of about how powerful they are. We don't really even touch down on how powerful a lot of these magical creatures are because they're just used as like a, a small side quest for Harry most of the time. But... Thestrals are probably incredibly powerful when they have things to do, you know?
0: Yeah, very interesting. You noted Hermione's um, so they tendencies again as when they're kind of pestering Hagrid about the Sorcerer's Stone and stuff. Hermione uses a flattery of Hagrid to get him be, to be more willing to share information. And she knows what she's doing.
1: Hermione's incredibly manipulative when she needs to be. And she knows early on which ways to flatter Hagrid in order to get him to bend to her will. And she's really, really adept at manipulating people, even grown adults, you know? It's it's impressive. And again, I love the Slytherin Hermione moments. I live for them, so.
0: I think especially a lot in this book, we have her using that tendency a lot to manipulate teachers, or especially more adult characters, because she really uses it on Hagrid, but then later on she'll use it... They were telling her to go up to Professor Fliplick and make, kind of like talk him up because as a distraction. So it's definitely something that both Harry and Ron are aware that she's good at.
1: I mean, she is. She's very, very. She can talk her way out of
0: a lot of stuff. Now let's move on to the most questionable part we had about this chapter was the fact that Harry and Hermione forgot the invisibility cloak at the top of a stormy tower and they get caught.
1: That's so dumb. I find that's such a, like, that's lazy writing. They're like, oh, I want there to be consequences for this.
0: Like, I get, I like the whole idea of Harry and Hermione going up and they, like, Malfoy gets in trouble. So they're like, like, haha, yeah, because they don't like him. And they're all worried about him for most of this chapter because they're just waiting for him to expose them. But I just feel like it was just too convenient for them to leave the cloak up just because they were distracted. It's dumb. It's really dumb. I feel like they were so cautious before. It just feels like too convenient for them to all of a sudden just be so careless just because Malfoy got caught.
1: It seems like the author knew they wanted the repercussions of them getting caught, but couldn't think of a better way to do it. They're just like, what's the quickest way to have gotten them caught? Oh, they forgot the cloak. Perfect. Okay, great. I feel like it could have been written and done in a way that
0: didn't make us question Hermione's sanity, you know? Yeah, I just feel like it was just too, too convenient because, like, we just they just leave the cloak. It's just, like, a stupid mistake. I feel like there could have been another way to do it because, obviously, they needed to get caught so they got detention so they go into the forest because the whole... They had to move the plot for Harry to go into the forest to see Voldemort. It's what they need to do. There's also a hundred other reasons to give Harry and Ron detention. You know what
1: I mean? Like, it's so easy to find character, or Harry and Hermione, rather, character correct excuses to give them detention. Like, Snape could give them detention for no reason. They could get detention for school homework type stuff. You know what I mean? Not Hermione, but Harry could. So it... Harry could get in trouble for copying off of Hermione's paper and Hermione could get in trouble for letting him. You know, what like there could be some so many things that aren't just like they were really dumb. And while breaking the law and the rules, they just forgot the only thing that lets them get away with it. Yeah.
0: They just were like, oops. It just feels like a really dumb thing. I feel like the mistake they wouldn't make. And like, I get it's all for the plot, but I just feel like it was just the kind of a messy way to do it. And there could have been a much more better way for them to get caught. Like, for them forgetting it, it's kind of dumb, but, like, even if something happens to the cloak or, like, something, Mrs. Norris comes up and or something. Yeah. Like, I just feel like there's a better way for them to get caught. Harry sees the mirror of Erised again, and he gets distracted. I don't know. <laughs>
1: he gets distracted. Yeah. Something shiny. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of other ways to do it. It just seemed like a lazy, lazy way of getting to the result it could have been done better.
0: I guess they didn't want they didn't cuz no one really knows Harry has the invisibility cloak at least the the, the professors until I think Snape finds out he has one later on so no one really knows Harry has the cloak. So I guess they didn't want to like have the professors know he had the cloak yet besides Dumbledore until Snape finds out. But um I just feel there's could have been a better way to do it. Like if even if they didn't get like they they went up to the astronomy tower cuz they heard something like Norbert made a huge racket. So Mrs. Norris comes up and they get caught before they can put the cloak on. I just feel like they're forgetting it it's stupid.
1: Or they take it off at the at the entrance to the Gryffindor Tower so they can tell the fat lady the password and someone walks by as they've taken it right after they've taken it off and Harry shoves it in his cloak or something. So no one sees the invisibility Ability Cloak, but they get in trouble.
0: I get they also want to lead up to Dumbledore giving it back to Harry with Just In Case, which kind of moves forward the theory that Dumbledore wanted him to, like, confront Voldemort. But I just feel like, oh, that's just so dumb for them to forget the cloak. Like, like, I know they're 11 and they're kids and kids do dumb things, but are just like, there's no way Hermione would, like, forget to put the cloak on. There's no way. And also... After them forgetting the really
1: cool magical thing and getting themselves in trouble, you'd think Dumbledore would maybe stop and think about whether or not he really wants these 11-year-olds to go fight, like, an evil Dark Lord. He might be like, "Mm, they can't even remember an invisibility cloak when committing, like, minor crimes. There's no
0: way they can defeat the Dark Lord. They're 11. I Listening to it again at work today, I was just like, that is still the dumbest thing ever. And I get, like, why it needs to happen, but I just feel like the excuse doesn't really hold up. Like, I get why, like, next chapter is when, like, Harry kind of becomes person on Grata for the first time at Hogwarts. And, like, everyone's really mad at him and he kind of, like, regrets his actions and everything. And he he tries to put his head down and, like, not care about mysterious things. But then he gets thrown into it back when he has detention. But I don't know. Let us know what um, what you think would be a better way for them to lose the cloak or get caught. That's not them forgetting it.
1: Yeah, anything would be better. Hermione turns them in for being out of bed at night because she's riddled with guilt. Is better <laughs> than
0: <laughs> she feels guilty.
1: <laughs> maybe they. Maybe they. Uh get caught talking in the halls during quiet hour or <laughs> like there's so many i don't know <laughs> harry spills something on a library book hermione's reading and madam prince of the library puts them in detention
0: and on that note let's wrap this up thank you for listening to this episode of pottery visited we'll be back next time to discuss chapter 15 of *Philosopher's stone the Forbidden Forest. Ooh. As always, you can email us at Podtervisited Podcast at gmail.com or you can reach us across social media at PotteryVisited, And we'll see you next time. Bye.